And so, um, if you would go with me, we, we went here just recently, uh, and I preached a message one, two Sundays ago, maybe. I, I, I lose track. I slept since then. And um, some of y'all know exactly what that feels like. But um, I preached a message on the fix-all solution. And we went to this passage of Scripture, and we're going to go right back to the same location, but we're going to dig in deeper on this thought. Um, But in Mark chapter 12, go with me to Mark chapter 12, just two verses, verse number 29 and verse number 30. I'm not going to read the others that are surrounding it. Uh, We understand the connotation of what's going on here, the question that's been asked Um, we've mentioned already just recently. And so I just want to look at verse number 29 and verse number 30 of Mark chapter 12. And this is where we're going to be each Sunday morning that we are dealing with this topic of the groundwork for revival. Uh, If we are hoping to see revival take place, in our hearts, in our lives, and, and I'll remind you, revival is not, and, and I know, please, please don't misunderstand me, um, and, and if, y'all, if I take some time to get through some things, y'all bear with me. I, my, my heart, my mind, the burden of this has is, is been on me for a while, and I'm, I'm, I'm filled up with the burden of it all. But if we're going to have a revival, and I know our, t- our natural tendency is, and it's not wrong, it is a good desire and a, and a good focus, and I do the same thing almost every single time we look at having special meetings and, uh, and things of that nature. But our, our tendency is, uh, all too often though, is to get really focused on out there, okay? And, and the out there is different things. For the pastor, out there includes church members. Out there includes church families. Out there includes uh, the surrounding communities and other churches that possibly could be encouraged. And if we're not careful, for a pastor, the out there becomes the focus. Lord, I'm, I'm looking for you to do wonders out there. Lord, do, one, do a wondrous work in the church members' lives. Do a wondrous work in the families, the homes presented in our church. Lord, do, do something in the lives of anybody that's going to be with us during the meeting. All, all this, we, we do a lot of out there. Now, for the pastor, it starts with the church members. Why? Because anything outside of here is out there. Anything outside of the circle in which I draw and then I step in and say, God... Everything within this circle needs revival. Well, what's in the circle? Me. Lord, right here needs revival. This, me. So anything outside of me personally and my home personally is an out there focus. And like I said, that's not a bad focus. It's not a wrong focus. Uh, Yes, we want to see God do a work in every life. We want to see God do and set a fire in every, it is my desire. Lord, I want to see a fire set within every single member of the church. Lord, I want to see a fire set within every single visitor that is with us. Lord, I want to see a fire begin, not just a spark, 
We always talk about that spark of revival, spark. Well, if it stays a spark, we're in trouble. You ever had a lighter? Not a cigarette lighter, y'all. Watch it, watch it. Okay. But you know, those click lighters? Those click lighters that you try to light a fire? You ever had one that had plenty of fuel? But all you ever got was a spark, 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 spark. And it just, no matter what you did, it could be a brand new one off the shelf. And every time you hit it, you get a spark. You get a spark. You get tons of spark, but you get no flame. It's got fuel. It's got spark. Where's the flame? How am I supposed to light this thing if it won't light? Y'all ever had that? You ever been frustrated because you had to go to town to buy one, and when you came back, it wouldn't work? Now you got to go back to town again. You can, you, can, you can lose your spirituality over stuff like that if you're not careful. But here's the thing. It can have a spark 24-7, but if that spark doesn't turn to a flame, it's not lighting anything on fire. And, and may I say, sometimes we focus on, Lord, give us the spark of revival. Actually, as far as I'm concerned, Lord, can you go ahead and just do a blowtorch? We just, I mean, just light, light it up. And then just keep the heat on so that we actually can be a flame for the Lord. But that, that flame and that, that revival that we're seeking is, it cannot start with, Lord, we want to see it everywhere. Well, that's great. That's wonderful. I do too. I want to see it. But that, that's, if I'm focusing on every member of this church only, and that's where it starts for me as a pastor, my focus is off. Because my focus has to start here. And for you, if you're focusing on every single person, all your friends and all, all the acquaintances and all the people that you, you hope to have and hope to see come and be a part of things, if we're focused on everybody else and I'm not focused first, Lord, I need your revival. I need the burning of the Spirit of God within me. I need that unquenchable flame. Lord, I need I need within me the inability to be cold. The inability. In other words, like Jeremiah said, uh, that it, 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 it burned within him, the flame, that fire was in him so hot he could not contain it. He could not keep it in. He could not stop from speaking that which was burning within him. May I say, um, it, it needs to be in every single one of our lives that we say, Lord, I need that, that I cannot help but serve God. I cannot help but want to be involved in what God is involved in. Lord, I cannot help but share the gospel. I cannot help but speak of his goodness. I cannot help but want to be at every opportunity we gather to pray. I cannot help but want to be at every opportunity we have to hear the word of God preached. Lord, I just, it's just burning within me. And I, I, I can't not be there. I can't not be doing that. I can't not be focused on what God wants. It just burns so, so strong within me. It, 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 it literally is consuming me. That's the revival we're looking for. May I say, when God does revival individually, you can see corporate revival. You can see homes revived. You can see an entire church just absolutely aflame for God. You can see a community take notice and say, wow, something's different going on there. I don't know what's, I don't know what's happening, but that, that, that place is not the same right now. 
when there is a revival, it doesn't start with a focus on everyone else. It starts with the focus of me. And when we're looking at what revival really is, what's the groundwork of revival? We're going to look at at this passage here in Mark chapter 12, verse 29 and 30. It says, And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Now, that alone, we we mentioned several weeks ago, is the fix-all solution for the problems we have. If I love God the way I love God, everything else just Everything else just kind of fades in the distance because no matter how bad life is, no matter how hard life is, no matter what I face in life, if I love him like I should love him, my focus is on him, not on my circumstance. My focus is on him, not on things I can't seem to control. My focus is on him, not on the people that are irritating me. If, if I, the fix-all solution of not losing my sanity is I'm focused on the one that keeps me sane. And so... Every problem, every issue, every irritating person kind of fades in the distance when I keep my focus on the love I have for my Lord. He is my God. He is everything. Through that, he is my shelter. He he is my fortress. He's my strength. All that I need is found in him, which is why my focus must stay on him. So that is the fix-all solution. We talked about that already, but now we're, I want to dig in deeper. We have four areas here that we're going to start with the first one this morning. Four areas for the groundwork of revival. How am I going to personally get to experience? And again, I, I hate even using the word, but that's what it is. I mean, great, anything you go through is experience. And so how am I going to get the opportunity to personally experience and therefore understand what genuine revival is for me, in me? Not by my opinion, not by my view, not by my, what, what I think it ought to be, but according to what God declares a true reviving of his people to be. How am I going to experience uh, a, a walk and a closeness and a service for God like I've never experienced before? I, how am I? Mm, 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 mm. This, is not, this is not going as easily as I was hoping. But let me put it this way. I, we talked to the men in the prayer meeting Saturday morning a little bit about it. Part of my desire already starting with the personal side, but now, now let's move to what I'm hoping that we'll see with our church even. I desire, and this is not to be spooky, not to be weird, but I, I've had the privilege of experiencing what I would say was a time frame of true revival that took place at our home church at Fundamental uh, during one of our camp meetings. And, and, and there were several meetings after that. We started long before praying. 
and, and, and the, the prayer times got bigger and bigger and bigger, more and more people, and eventually they got to a point where they were praying. Literally every single night they were praying, and you might as well have held a service because almost the entire church, by the time we got to camp meeting, by the time we got to the, the revival meeting that we were going to be having, by the time we got there, the church was already being filled every single night with people just coming to pray. And we weren't praying just for the revival. There were people coming praying and saying, God, you know my child is not right with you. You know my child is away from you. Lord, I'm praying that you will, you will place conviction on their heart to be at this revival meeting under the preaching of, the whole, of God's men and that the Holy Spirit will do a work. Lord, would you draw my child back to you? Uh, there were people praying for husbands. There, there were husbands praying for wives. Um, there, there, there were families praying for other relatives and family members. I mean, there, there were friends praying for friends, preachers praying for preachers. I mean, you, you name it, there, there was a, a just an overwhelming sense of need, and people began to pray. And during that meeting, it, it went not just the time frame we, we, we had set for. It was one that genuinely, not because man orchestrated and said, we're going to keep this thing going. God began to move and do a work. Not immediately. It, it started off like any other meeting, but within a couple of evenings, something began to happen in the lives of those that had been praying and in the lives of those who were being prayed for, something began to happen on both fronts. And some people that were praying for others began to actually have uh, particular things in their own life God began to put his finger on. And because they were already tender and because they were already uh, softened to the leading of the Holy Spirit and the desire to want to see him work, as they were praying for, for needs they had in their heart and the burdens they had for others they loved, God began to also say, by the way, how about we deal with this first? And those individuals began to break down and say, God, help me, not just them. And that work began to grow and that, and that, 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 that meeting began to turn into something other than what was intended initially and it began to become something that, that everybody came hungry and searching for what does God have for me tonight? What does he have for me to grow with tonight? What's he going to feed me tonight because I am needy and I am helpless and I need God? I'm talking about saved people realizing how pathetic we are without him. And it got to a point that, and again, please don't misunderstand me and don't think I'm weird. I, I am, but don't think I'm weird on this one. But those meetings became so real in not meeting with one another, but meeting truly with God. There were times when invitations started before we really got very far into a song service. And it didn't start because of an altar call. It started because the altars were open the entire time, and they always are. 
and people were already under great conviction throughout the day at work. God was working on their heart, and when they came to the house of God, they'd already dealt with him once. When they came to the house of God, first thing they did is they went to an altar, and it didn't matter if people were singing, didn't matter if people fellowship, didn't matter what was going on, they were at the altar already praying and dealing with God and saying, Lord, help me, Lord, help me. Lord, do a work in my heart. Lord, help my family. Lord, help my friend. Lord, and they, boy, it just, it just went on and went on. And it got to the point where God was meeting with us in such a way that even when we left, though nobody wanted to leave, but even when we left, I was telling the men yesterday morning, before we came back the next evening for service, within the auditorium, there was... Again, try not to be, we, we're not all, woo, you know. But there was a presence within the house of God that you didn't dare walk in without respecting the place that God was meeting with people. There was a, a real presence within the house of God that when you walked in the auditorium, if you were there for any other reason but to meet with God, you felt the need to walk out. It was as though God was there, never left, and he was waiting on us to come back together so he could continue doing the work he was already doing. He was working in hearts and lives outside of that place, but the presence of God was so real that for conviction to fall was, I mean, there was no, just like that. I think I told the story before, and I, I've not even gotten to the message yet. So y'all just hold on. We're getting there. We'll get through it. But there was a young, uh, I say young man. He was middle-aged, the son of some, a, a good couple in our church. They were brokenhearted. He knew right. He had been raised right. He wasn't living in deep, dark sin, but he was not living right. And they honestly believed it's very possible he was not saved. And their heart, and the more they watched, the more they tried to, tried to help him, the more resistance there was, and they were just broken hearted. Prayed for him for years. And one night of that revival, he just showed up. By this time, we had extended the revival, the, the meeting, per se. And he just showed up one night. And in a small, before we had the bigger building, in a small little shotgun country church building, he showed up. And in the midst of a time of, they were getting ready for the invitation. And a family began, who was singing, began to sing a song. Can't remember what they were singing. All I know, they began to sing. Invitation was about to begin, but it hadn't even really gotten started. And here he came from the back as fast as he could and barely even made it to the altar before he hit his knees, practically crawling to the altar, just falling in his face, weeping and crying. And, and, and everyone knew who he was. Everybody knew who had been prayed for for years. And he just came under great conviction. And he came down, broke down. The preacher went down to him. His, his mom and dad were in different areas of the auditorium because they were serving in different ways. And, and they, they both just dropped everything. And all of a sudden, here they come. They're boohooing and crying. They come down there. And he's down there. I need to be saved. He's down at the altar. I'm going to hell. 
I mean, and I'm here, tough, hard, callous, and here he is. He is broken. And the entire church got to witness God answer prayer. You want to talk about stirring something up? He was the first one to the altar that night. And before we were done, two hours later, people were still at the altar praying, getting right, getting saved. Um, it, it, it broke, as we say, it broke loose. And that was only the midpoint of that meeting that we had because it kept going. I've had the privilege of witnessing a genuine understanding of God setting into a place and bringing individual personal revival that set aflame homes and it set aflame an entire church and it set aflame anybody that visited other churches would come and they would visit to be part of the meetings and next thing you know those individuals go back home and tell what God was doing and next thing the, the folks in their church said, I, boy, we need that. Man, we need that. Next thing you know, people, people in other churches around, other churches that were of like faith and all, and, and all of a sudden they get a hungering. Man, why can't we see that? And all, they start begging God and praying. Next thing you know, we started seeing some little pockets start building up all over. Why? Because it started personally. And people begged God to meet with them. My heart's desire as a pastor of the church, outside of personal need, my heart's desire is that Bethel Baptist Church and any of anybody that's, that's with us on a regular basis, even if you're not a member, but my desire is that through a revival meeting that we have, we get to a point where it has nothing to do about a meeting. It has all to do about wanting to be where God is present in a way that many have never experienced before. That it be so thick. I told the men Saturday, yesterday morning, my, my desire is that when that tent is set up and we're going to pray, we're going to pray over that tent. We're going to pray over that area. We're going to make sure that Satan knows he's not welcome. And we're going to dedicate and, and consecrate that, that ground and that place for God on Saturday night before we ever start that Sunday. My desire is that through the process of what we're asking God to do, that that place becomes so real that no one dare enter into that place unless they are coming to meet with God. You say, preacher, that sounds all Pentecostally. I don't care what they done stole from us. I'm taking it back. It's time that we understand it's not about our formalities. It's not about one, two song, special, preach, invitation, go home. Wouldn't hurt my feelings if we have some, I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm expecting it and I, I, if we don't have it, it's, we, don't, we don't have a revival but I'm, it would not hurt my feelings if uh, we start at 6 o'clock and we are intending to be done by 8, but come 10, 11 o'clock, the altars are still going. Well, preacher, we got to work the next morning. What's more important, God moving 
or me getting all my sleep that I'm hoping to have before I go to work. By the way, God's still the God that can give you eight hours of sleep in two if he wants to. Now, since y'all haven't let me get to any of the points of my message this morning, I'm picking up, blaming y'all. I want y'all to understand my heart. Let me, just, let me just jump in right here. Come on, let me just give you these thoughts for this because it's very simple. It's not hard. It's not deep. But there are four areas in... Mark 12, 29 through 30, four areas of the groundwork for revival, and it starts with the heart. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. The heart is the, the seat of your feelings. Uh, so basically, in a sense, we're dealing with the heart of the somebody said the, the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. We're dealing with the heart. And may I say, put it this way, uh, it's what you feel. And I'll give you the, 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 the four breakdowns. Going to deal with the heart, what you feel. Deal with the soul, what you are. Deal with the mind, what you believe. And with your strength, what you do. Dealing with the heart is the starting part. And God himself put great emphasis on the heart of man in the warnings of just how deceived we can be because of the heart. The heart can be that which gives God everything. The heart can be that which loves God with everything. The heart of man doesn't have to be deceitful and wicked, but that is its natural state. And if allowed naturally to do what the heart does, Man's heart is going to flee from God and his presence. Man's heart is going to want to do what man wants. Man's heart is going to make our feelings more about how I feel about it than what God said about it. But the heart can be made to walk with him and talk with him. The heart can be made to long for that which is righteous and holy the heart of man may, may i say if god begins to meet with us but even before we get to our set revival time frame he begins to meet with god's people it's not a set date to date all right god here's the time frame you have do a work in that time frame no i would I, my prayers boy it would be nice if he just go ahead and start moving before we ever get to that then we go into that time frame and boy we've already been softened we've already been worked on we're already tender. We're already begging God. We're already seeing some things happen in our personal lives, in our family, and in our, in our church as a whole, in our community. All things start happening already. Then we get to that, and God just puts a gravy on top. Biscuits are good. Biscuits are filling. We had biscuits Saturday morning. But I'll tell you this much, fellas. Them biscuits were good by themselves, but they were so much better with the gravy on top. So are my eggs. Matter of fact, that gravy just went on everything. But we, we want the Lord to move. But it starts with the heart. It is all your heart, which means in all these things, all your heart, all your, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Why? Because it is a, a, a totalness. It is a totality, an absolute, an unconditional surrender of every single part of me 
for God to bring revival like he desires to bring. The heart is the seat of our affections, our sorrows, our griefs, our joys, all of our emotions, all of our, the things of how we feel. The heart is the, the core element that brings about those feelings and those emotions. And may I say, we're not looking for just a feeling, but may, I will say, it feels really good when God starts moving. It feels really good when I am totally surrendered and God's directing, boy, and I feel completely free to do whatever he wants me to do. I don't feel bound by my, re- oh, well, I've got, it, I've got this I had planned to do. Well, I've got these things that are expected of me. It feels wonderful when I can say, all to Jesus, I surrender. And in my heart, Nothing he can ask of me is too much. It's totally surrendered over. Boy, that that is a freedom of the heart that is impossible to describe to somebody who's never experienced it. The Bible concedes and talks about how important the heart is just by uh, dealing with Proverbs 4.23, one of my favorite passages especially to use with young people. Keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. Everything concerning life starts in the heart. Your boundaries and borders of what you will do, what you won't do, how far you will go, how far you won't go, where you will serve, where you won't serve. Every boundary that we make and every boundary and border we have in life starts with the heart. And if my heart hasn't been plowed up by the Holy Spirit, then that fallow ground is going to resist the work that he wants to do. We got to break up, allow God to break up that fallow ground of the heart. Why? Three simple things, we're done. Here it is. The heart affects our life. So what affects our heart? Very simply, our sins affect our heart. We do not uh, wish to drink from tainted water or eat food taken from a trash can. I mean, if you do, I guess go ahead, but I'd much rather cook a meal without digging it out of the trash first. Amen? I mean, if y'all want to, go ahead, make make that lunch today. we, we, We got some stuff we've thrown away back here. There's a beautiful big old garbage can back here. And lots of bags in there. You go ahead and tear into it and, you know, might need a nose clip for a little bit. But I guarantee you there's at least one little piece of a good piece of meat somewhere in there if you want to go have it. But we wouldn't do that, right? Oh, no, that's nasty. I don't want that. I want something fresh. I want something, you know, I want to know where it came from. We wouldn't drink water that's tainted or eat food from a trash can Yet we will allow our heart to be tainted by something even more polluted, our sin. Jeremiah 17, 9 said, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Psalm 66, verse 18, If I regard iniquity, ooh, ooh, ooh. This one's a hard one. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Oh, God, give us revival. And yet, at the same time, I regard. In other words, I am kind of geared to and I'm kind of focused and I'm holding on to something God said let go of. 
get that out. Clean that up. No, let me, let me do a little bit of extracting from your life. Oh, no, Lord, not that room. That's mine. You can't have that. Oh, no, Lord, don't ask that of me. Lord, sin revival. Just leave this alone. Leave this alone right here. Just right, right here. Leave it alone. That's mine. If I regard iniquity, if I regard something, God's saying I want you to clean up something in your life. Preacher, I want you to clean this up. I want you to clean. And I'm saying, Lord, sin revival. And yet I'm regarding something that God said you need to get rid of. The Lord will not hear me. I'm asking for his holiness and I'm asking for his, his, his Holy Spirit and his meeting with us and, and, and just a complete uh, washing through of God's people and a fire to be set aflame. And yet at the same time, I'm asking for God to set a flame, a fire, and while at the same time, I'm holding a pitcher of water ready to go. Lord, give us fire. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm asking for him to set the church on fire while holding a water hose ready to put it out as soon as it happens. Well, I'm not doing that. In our heart, it's exactly what we're doing if we regard iniquity. Psalm 141, 141 verse 4 says, Incline not thine heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men that work iniquity, and let me not eat of their dainties. The sins in our life, a life that is not seeking to please him in every way, regarding iniquity, regarding sin, allowing things I know that God is not pleased with to have reign and rule and have power over my life, to regard those things and not let God do a work of washing in my life not for the forgiveness of sins. If you're a child of God, that's been taken care of. What about those things that just hinder my walk with him? I want to walk with him. I want to talk with him. I want him to work in me. Lord, I want to see something happen miraculously, but I I just don't want to give that up. Can we just not deal with that, Lord? All these other things I'm willing. boy, Boy, yes, Lord, take all this, but not not that. I still like that. Our sins affect our heart. Our situations affect our heart. We know this. Uh, we can allow our circumstances to affect how we feel about our life and most importantly, even about God. Uh, Job seven eleven. Uh, listen to what Job says. He had, he had his moments. Job wasn't perfect. He had his moments where he struggled. He said, therefore, I will not refrain my, I, I will not refrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. That's somebody's theme verse. Matter of fact, most of the people I see on Facebook, that's their theme verse. Let, let me read it again. Y'all ready? I will not refrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. And then let's go ahead and just make it worse. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Does that not describe most gripey conversations you see? Displaying all the issues of I'm dealing in life and how everybody did me wrong. Stinking cashier doesn't know how to do her job. 
I go to Walmart. I don't, I don't go to Walmart. I have to check myself out. Right? We're so stinking spoiled. I've been in this restaurant for 20 minutes and my food still hadn't gotten to me. Let me go ahead and leave a review for everybody to see. Now, that's petty things, but, I mean, is that not the way, that, is that not, not the spirit that we can be infected by so easily? Job said, man, my situation. And now, again, God corrected him. God took care of it. God, God he got a hold of him, and he, he, he saw some things. And by the way, when, when God began to speak to Job, he said, where were you, Job, when I created this, and I created that, and I did this? And I, Where were you, Job? You know why I didn't ask your opinion, Job? I didn't need it. I am God, and there is none other. I am the creator. I made you, and Job, I've let you go through what I've chosen for you, and Job, I've never lost control of it, and Job, you better start getting your eyes back on me and stop looking at your situations. All of a sudden, Job saw for himself, the scales fall off. And then you see Job with a whole different mentality later on as he begins to praise God for who he is. And he begins to share with his friends the power of the God he serves. And I'm not gonna, I am not gonna lay any foolish charge to the Lord. Our situations can affect us though. Uh, Ruth, the book of Ruth one twenty. And she said unto him, call me not Naomi, but uh, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. Um, Naomi, in her heart, God had not changed her name to Mara, but she had. God had not called her bitter, but she had called herself that. Circumstances, situations affect our heart. And lastly, our sorrows Y'all know this much. Boy, sorrow can affect you in very powerful ways. Hurts that go deep. Loss that that just, just, just wrenches your heart. Things that we can't understand. The pain of some, of some things that we just don't get. Why the Lord would allow this. It, that goes along with situations, but many times those situations just put put a sorrow in us. I'm not going to go there, but Hannah's heart in, in chapter, uh, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 13 through 15, Hannah's heart was very sorrowful. She, she was struggling because of her circumstance. She, she just hurt because of what she was lacking in her ability to be for her husband. Struggling. Grief is natural, and, and I, I do believe it, it is a healthy part. There is a process that grief holds, but many people go from grief, and they just hold on, and that becomes their life. And that sorrow and that grief becomes a barrier and a hindrance to God doing anything with them because they're too focused on the grief and the sorrow, and by the way, the one who brought it to me. Oh, they're focused on God, but they're angry with him because of the sorrow they face and the situation that brought it. And he's the one who did this. 
and God wants to move, but there is a wall. If we're not careful, the heart can stop revival. And it's not a collective issue, it's a personal, individual issue. Some are controlled by depression, discouragement, disappointment, failure. And according to God's word, for the child of God, there's no reason for that. Because the heart focused in the right direction can overcome all grief, all sorrow, all depression, all struggles. It can overcome the power of sin in my life. Romans 6, we've been there and already gone through that chapter. I'm no longer bound to sin. I am free to be the servant of righteousness. Therefore, I don't have to let sin rule and reign in this mortal body. Through Christ, I can be victorious. I get my eyes on him, my heart focused and fixed. And now sin does not have to affect this heart that could get in the way of revival and, and situations do not have to be allowed to affect this heart that can get in the way of revival in my life and sorrows don't have to affect this heart that would become a barrier to revival in my life all these things of the heart can be dealt with by simply placing my affections on things above my heart as the psalmist said my heart is Fixed, oh God, my heart is fixed. Why? Because in the four areas that we are to love our God with all, the heart is the first one God points out. Get your heart fixed on him and he'll fix the heart in any area it needs to be fixed in. Get our heart set. Isaiah 53, and we're done. 53, verse number four says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We, uh, yet we, esteemed, uh, we, we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Hey, he's borne all, and he has struggled with all that we do not have to struggle, and we do not have to fix our heart on wrong things. We can fix our heart on him and him alone, and he has the solution to help the heart not become a barrier. Shouldn't our love for God be controlled by the one who controls the things that used to control us? Shouldn't, let me say it again, shouldn't our love be controlled by the one who controls the things that used to control us? Give him my heart. I'm not talking about if it's salvation that's needed. And that might be the problem with some folks. Salvation has never been settled. They can't give him their heart because they've never first given him everything and trusted in him from the heart and him alone. It's a lot easier when I'm his child and I can actually get right with him. But if I'm not his child, that's impossible until I meet the Savior. For some, it might be they're just lost. And because they are lost, they are not a child of God. Their heart cannot be fixed on him because they're none of his. So maybe that's the first step. But beyond that, for the child of God, Lord, my, my heart needs to be fixed, Lord. My heart needs to be fixed. I need revival in my life. 
not, and not for the moment. I need revival that sticks and stays. I need revival that becomes contagious and not for my glory. It's never for our glory. It should always be for his glory. It's his revival, not my revival. His work of reviving, not my work. I'm the one being revived. I'm not the one doing the work. Lord, I need you to do in me what I cannot do for myself. It's the bringing back that which should never have left, a fire that should always be present. But unfortunately, it gets cold and it gets low and it needs to be cranked back up, not just a spark. May I say, if sin affects our heart, situations affect our heart, sorrows affect our heart, there is actually one other uh, that, um, that you could actually allow to affect your heart, and that is the Savior who bought you. Sin can affect it. Lord, help me to resist that. Situations can affect my heart, but Lord, help me to resist that. Uh, the, 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 uh, the sorrows of life can affect my heart, but Lord, help me to be able to resist that. And a loving Savior can affect, me, affect my heart, but Lord, help me surrender to you. If we're going to see revival, that's where it starts. And not revival just in our church. Personal. Lord, start revival in this circle right here. Right here. I'm in the middle. It's me. It's me. It's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. We want to see God do something in a big way for all of us. We have to first say, Lord, do something personally. I give you all my heart. With all my heart, I will love you, O Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning.